Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Joined by Leaf Tuline, I'm Richard Saman. We are going to go over my big board that I dropped yesterday on Monday. Uh, it's a top 65. It's the first one of the month. And later this week, I'll also be dropping a mock draft. But for now, we're going to go over the big board, recap what we saw in the week of college basketball, and preview what's ahead coming up on Locked On NBA Draft. You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. If this is your first listen of the day, thank you very much for making us your first listen. If this is your first time listening to us, my name is Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. I am joined by Leaf Tuline at Leaf Tuline on Twitter. Uh, we both do some basketball work. Leaf works with uh, local radio station in Utah. I work more just freelance uh, doing my own stuff with NBA Draft on MavsDraft.com, covering uh, college basketball, NBA Draft, an international basketball from afar, uh, and just avid NBA fan. Leaf, what you got for me, and how how uh, how much has this week changed your perception of this upcoming draft? It's a bizarre week because Jabari Smith, my guy that I, I've been on for before the season started as a top tier guy, uh, and he had a great week, arguably his best week of the season. Yet he's for the first time this season dropped out of my top spot, and. I think this is something we'll talk about with our boards, but I'm excited. This week's been crazy. Chet and Jabari are, are my top two, and we talked locked on Chet last week. This week we're going to talk uh, Richard's big board, which I'm excited to diagnose and, and see what it is because it's, it's my first glance at it as well, just along with you guys. And, yeah, great week of basketball we just had and a great week ahead. Yeah, we'll get to that after uh, in, in a little bit here. We're not going to jump straight into the big board. First, what we normally do is we're just going to recap some of the last week's games. We preview each of these also at the end of the show, what to expect for this upcoming week. But let's get into what we saw this last week. I know a big takeaway you had involved the Tennessee Volunteers. They had two games versus Kentucky and versus or at Arkansas. They split those two games. They beat Kentucky, which is a pretty tall order. And then they went to Arkansas and couldn't win there. Talk to me about what you saw in those games. I, I didn't get to see both of those. Um, I only got to see the Kentucky game, but talk to me about what you saw in, in those two games that stood out to you. Well, the Kentucky game contained my biggest takeaway for Tennessee. Is all year, I think we've been on the same page that, wow, they got a lot of talent. They got some youth to their team in Kennedy Chandler and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Um, and they had some veterans in Vescovy and, and Fulkerson and Uros Plavsic and you know, they had a nice amalgamation of talent, but it hadn't come together. And then it started to, I think before that game, they'd won eight straight games in the SEC, not really knocking anyone off. And then they played Kentucky, who at the time was ranked fourth in the country. And they absolutely dominated Kentucky. They owned by 13, but it felt like more at times. I will say Kentucky, Kennedy Chandler was really good for Tennessee, but I think Ty Ty Washington was limited. So I'll acknowledge that. But that said, I don't even know if a, a healthy Kennedy, a healthy Ty Ty Washington was stopping Kennedy Chandler in Tennessee. He, uh, the, Kennedy Chandler went five of nine, three of five from the three, 17 points, six assists, five rebounds, two steals, and him and Santiago Vescovi combined, uh, combined for 35 out of the backcourt. And then they had such size and depth um, in their bigs. 
I think that you you rotate through you rotate through like four or five big guys, and you you wore out a Kentucky team that features Oscar Sheboy, who's probably the best big guy in the country so far this year. And that's hard task to do. They're playing really hard. They're playing good defense. And if they can shoot, Kentucky, I mean, Tennessee is a team like Kentucky that I think could make an Elite Eight. Yeah, Tennessee is a really interesting team. I, I, I think Kennedy Chandler is a pretty good college guard. I'm iffy on his game translating just because the size and the way he gets his shots doesn't really get his shots over, I should say, against defenses. Um, you know, he had a really good game against Kentucky. I would say five of nine shooting had 17 points. But in the, I mean, I, I'm just box score looking at this one. I still need to catch this game, admittedly. You know, five of 15 is a little bit alarming. And when you look at his game over game, it, it kind of follows this trend, especially of late, where it's efficient, inefficient, efficient, inefficient game. I mean, dating back to pretty much the start of the conference play and really just slightly before that, he went against USC Upstate, which is very easy game in the end of December. Uh, he went 6 of 11 against Arizona, 2 of 14. A couple of games later, 6 of 12, then 2 of 7. Then he had a couple back-to-back, 7 of 11, 6 of 13, and then 4 of 13, 5 of 13, 4 of 11, and then 5 of 11, which is pretty respectable, 4 of 11, 8 of 13, 3 of 8, 5 of 9, 5 of 15. It's just kind of all over the place. And with that, um, combined with just the inability to get a shot over a lot of taller defenders, I don't know how much he can make defenders pay on an, when they're on an island, these bigs in a mismatch on the perimeter. I'm still a little bit hesitant to buy into them, but I do like what Tennessee offers. They're a very strong team overall, and I think they will make some noise in March. Um, I, I don't know if you had anything else on Tennessee, but you want to go to our next game? Yeah, let's head to the next one. Yeah, so we'll go over to Duke. Uh, we're going to just shift over one state. We're going to go over to Duke. The two games uh, that they played this week that were really impressive, I saw both of these, Leaf. I don't, it's okay if you didn't see both, but I know you saw the Wake Forest game. Did you get to see against FSU by any chance? Uh, no, I, I I was meaning to watch that one, and I, and the time escaped me. So I, I realized the way I just worded that made it sound like I was shaming you for not watching after talking about how I didn't watch one of the games you talked about. But I'll start with the the Florida State game, excuse me. That was the game for me where, spoiler alert, my number one pick changed. Uh, and for me, A.J. Griffin also really stood out. Trevor Keels rose a little bit from it. Trevor Keel has given me some Marcus Smart vibes, the way he just kind of passed, he can defend. And the shot, you know, it comes and goes, but right now he's in a pretty hot stretch. But let's talk about that Wake Forest game because it was a close game, 76-74. Alondis Williams played pretty well, which has become the norm. He had 18 points, four rebounds, four assists, three steals on, on seven of 13 shooting. But on top of that, Duke, most players played well, but this is also another poor performance for Paolo Boncaro. And even then, he was still impacting the game in other ways. He had only 13 points on two of 10 shooting, got to the line a good amount, three rebounds, only three rebounds, but six assists, two steals, and two blocks. What did you see and hear that took away? That were some takeaways, excuse me, for you. For a, a draft one that stood out to me is just how versatile Wendell Moore Jr. is. We, we talk about a lot of the Duke players. We, we haven't touched on him that much. He's young. He scored 16 points on pretty good efficiency, even though he didn't shoot the three that well in this one. Had six rebounds, five assists, two steals, and he's he's their, essentially their point guard of their starting lineup, and he's got some uh, defensive ability. You saw him matched up with Alondis at times, as well as Trevor Keels, a little bit of AJ as well. Um, and the other thing that stood out to me is AJ Griffin's shooting is so vital for Duke, and this is not only a draft thing because obviously three and D to the T – but um, for Duke to be successful, they need to hit some threes. 
and he went 60% from three. The rest of the starting lineup combined went uh, three of 13. Um, so that's a huge, that's a huge thing in my opinion. And then Alondis Williams is, is a tall task. That's an NBA caliber talent guard. And you saw the defensive tests that some of those players for Duke, you got to see their versatility. And then the importance of Mark Williams waiting at the rim, uh, even though he didn't have a huge blocks type of game, but you saw his length impact the game. And it was a nice uh, litmus test for a couple players on the Blue Devils. Yeah, Duke is going to be, I mean, they're one of the most stacked rosters. You look at their whole starting five. What I think we just went through all of them. They're all NBA players. One, like I'd be very surprised if they didn't have five NBA players drafted this year. Um, they continue to be a dominant threat out of the ACC, the lone really good team, I would say, out of there. I mean, Blake Forrest is really good argument for the second-best team. Um, the next game that I know both of us uh, kept track of and got to see was Baylor-Texas Tech. So Baylor's been up and down all week. I mean, just Monday night, they struggled with Oklahoma State. That was a thriller. Um, they they had a they dominated TCU at home on Saturday, but they lost by 10 at Texas Tech. And Texas Tech, I think it was almost more about Texas Tech, but what, what were some of the takeaways you had from this game from a draft perspective and college perspective? I'll start with the college perspective. I think that Texas Tech, uh, especially with no LJ Cryer and no Jonathan Chamochachua, uh, was the better team and the team I expected to win. And they were playing in Lubbock. Baylor had a great first half. And I was like, oh my, like maybe, maybe Scott Drew's got the guys riled up and they're able to play um, and, and win this game with some really good guard play. The second half regression uh, to the mean on both sides. Baylor started shooting a little worse. Texas Tech started shooting a little better. And then from a draft perspective, what stood out to me was one, Adam Flagler. I just got to give him some love because I've been tweeting about him all week. Um, but the dude can shoot. And I think he's got a borderline chance to be Bryn Forbes. And I'm kind of falling in love with my, um, my comparison there. So he went four of eight in that game today uh, or yesterday, I should say against Oklahoma state, which was not last week. He, he tore it up, had 29 points. So I'm just going to shout out there. But the thing that stood out to me of the real prospects from Baylor, Kendall Brown had a really quiet game. And that's a game where his athleticism becomes less noticeable because Texas tech has comparable athletes and not many teams can sport that. And he, he got, he got his athleticism um, is still through the roof, but his athleticism with a lack of progression and skills, his IQ is still good. He's in the right places, but his offensive skills need, need some work. And I'm starting to drop him a little bit on my draft board as a result of watching him play some of these more athletic teams and not making the noticeable jump. And then Jeremy Sohan had a pretty good week. He had a really good game against TCU, but Texas Tech minimized his impact as well. And they're just playing hard, Texas Tech. No, no bona fide draft uh, prospects for that one, in my opinion, on the on the Red Raiders. But they play real hard. Yeah, Terrence Shannon's pretty much it. But uh, personally, I don't buy his jump shot enough to really consider him top forty-five prospect. We'll kind of get to that later. Uh, Kendall Brown, yeah, like you said, the guys just didn't. It wasn't a strong outing from any of the prospects. Jeremy Sohan, three of seven, eight points, ten rebounds, two assists. Not bad. Uh, just not enough of an impact. And then again, uh, Monday night, kind of the same thing. Sohan, three of 11, six points, three assists, seven rebounds. And Kendall Brown only went one of four. And that one make was a three, which is very out of character for him. Uh, just that seems very backwards. And of course, Flagler, 
went off against Oklahoma State, 7 of 13 from 3, 29 points on 11 of 20 shooting. Like, he had a really good night. And shout-out to Isaac Likely. He, 50%, he's kind of starting to figure it out offensively. I don't know if he's an NBA guy, but I do know that he is a don't-let-your-client-work-out-against-him guy because he is a monster on the defensive end. He will turn. He will force turnovers. He will block your shot. He is Patrick Beverly on the defensive end with very little offensive game. Um, so that that is uh, Baylor had an eventful week. I think they went one and two, right? I, I can't remember if they played a game um, before the uh, Texas Tech game, but I, I think they played three, if I'm not mistaken. Lastly, we'll go to Vanderbilt versus Auburn. Again, kind of playing foreshadowing here. Um, we, you know, we'll get to the number uh, new number one, but this also impacted it. Uh, I'll start with the player who didn't impact number one. So Scotty Pippen Jr., one of my absolute darlings of this draft. He had 16 free throws. He's 6'1". Obviously, the son of Scotty Pippen. That name isn't exactly the most common to be a junior. He had 29 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, 5 steals. He is a menace on the defensive end, hence the 5 steals. He's got good vision. I think he can see really well out of pick and roll especially, uh, but he can pass out of the drive. He finds shooters really well. And on top of that, if he could just have a little bit more consistent of a shot, I think he's developed so much of his inside game that he's, I don't want to say forgotten, but the three-point shot has lagged a little bit behind. But shout out to him. I think he's a top 50 prospect. I think he's got backup guard potential, even though he's 6'1". Not really worried about that. Now, for the top end of this, it starts with, I mean, it's all on Auburn. The two main players that stood out in this, there were some really impressive performances. You had 31 points on 10 of 16 shooting, 7 of 10 from 3 from Jabari Smith with 3 assists, 4 rebounds, and a steal. And then you have Walker Kessler, who remains one of the hardest players for me to draft, and I'm sure, uh, or to rank, excuse me, in this draft. I'm sure we'll talk about him in our next segment. Had 22, 7, and 7, and 1, and 1. But the order of that is a little bit off. He had 22 re- points, 7 rebounds, 7 blocks, 1 assist, and 1 steal, and that was on 8 of 10 shooting. He took 1-3. He's an enigma. Um, but ultimately, I mean, his recovery ability is crazy, even though he's not fast at all. He is like a textbook example of a slow center, but his long strides, his length, and just timing really make him hard to beat, even though he's not that fast. Leaf, talk to me about this game, because I know you had some opinions about this one, too. Jabari Smith is unbelievable. This was 31 points on 16 shots is otherworldly. He went 7 of 10 from 3 in this game, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, Defense was even better than those numbers indicate. And some of the shots he hit, he hit one from the logo, splashed it and shook his head. And he was like, that's nothing. Like, give it to me again. And and it's like Jabari's finally figuring out how good he is. Like, he's so unselfish to a fault. And in this game, he only shot 16 shots, which like, you know, that's that's a fair number. But when you look at how many other players on his team shot, it's really not that much of a difference. And he scored 31 points on those 16 shots. And he followed it up with another really good performance against Florida, scoring 28 points. Um, on very good efficiency again. In his last two games, Jabari Smith has made 11 threes on 15 attempts. Like, that is absurd. And he's shooting these with people in his grill, and he's 6'10". So that's my takeaway there. And shout-out to you on the Scottie Pippen Jr. train. Um, we're going to talk about Jabari Smith coming up next because uh, I think there's some movement on Mr. Stamen's big board here. But before we get there, let's talk about Bet Online. Football might football season might be over, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. 
from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, uh, to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your betting sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net has your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds right now to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Perfect. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and start talking about that big board, shall we? Yeah, let's well, uh, so I dropped my big board. Is a top 65 is kind of a random number, but um, a little bit. I'll just give a little bit of a prologue here. 65. I mean, personally, I'm not super high on this draft class. I'll be very blunt about it. Um, normally, in most years, I'm like, dang, I really like this guy. It's hard to leave this guy off. This year, I was kind of, it was the opposite. I was like, okay, I don't know who to add that I can realistically say he kind of belongs, he doesn't belong. And I will say, I kind of regret after posting it, one, only one spot. But I kind of regret not putting um, Jalen Williams. I just blanked on there, right? So apparently I don't regret it that much. He was one spot. I had him at 66, and I had Matt Cleveland of Florida State who's starting to get more and more offensive reps. I really like his upside. I probably should have swapped the two one spot. But Jalen Williams from Arkansas, we talked about how Arkansas played Tennessee. Um, Personally, that's my next watch, and I'm very excited to see his game because he's someone who can – do just about everything on the floor. He's growing. He's 6'10", uh, growing in terms of the game. Not he's not. I don't know if he's actually going to be six eleven, seven foot, whatever. But um, <laughs> let's start at the top. So I had a number one change. Um, I moved. I, I had had Paolo Boncaro this whole time. I had him as my number one prospect since the first week of college basketball. And my whole strategy is I'm kind of like I don't know. What, number one, I think we can microanalyze a lot of these things and. For me, unless I'm just very not passionate about number one, I don't like to change in midseason. I'm pretty – that's the one thing I stand by most of my preseason takes on. But this one's been a little bit different. You you brought it up in the – like just a minute ago, Leaf. Um, I mean, Jabari's on fire right now. And what we're seeing is just such a crazy flash that it's hard not to have him number one. And on top of that, how do – like it isn't – right now the top three, I think it's just 1A, 1B, 1C. Because – and I'd say right now, even though I have power number two – He's probably the C in this because Chet has been on fire. He's the most, he's probably the most efficient plus productive player. That combo of any top 10 prospect by a landslide right now. And I think it scales up. So uh, talk to me about some of what you saw in the top of the draft. Let's say like top 15, top 14 for lottery sake. Um, I know my shade and sharp at number, what was it? Five uh, right ahead of AJ Griffin. Unpopular. I get it, but I'm pretty sold on the tools. I might change that, though, because I'm big on A.J. Griffin, but I'll let you ask any questions. Give give some feedback of what you saw on that. Well, I think, first of all, I'll commend you to your like loyalty, your picks. I, I don't like when people change their picks because Twitter's telling them to, so I always appreciate that you don't do that. But um, in this case, I think at least I would agree. I've been telling you I've had Jabari ahead of Paulo the whole, whole season, and, you know, it, no, there's no – real real rhyme to it at the beginning i just thought that the tools were slightly better um and and what i would say is that the chet paulo is the is my um the reason i've got chet to one i'll I'll, I'll counter with this is i've moved chet to one despite jabari's hot flash just because of like his defensive traits are gonna be there and they're only gonna get better and the offense that's just a benefit whereas jabari 
you kind of know what you're getting. You're going to score. And of, of course, like shooting 80% from three is, is just sensational, but it's uh, unsustainable. Whereas Chet's numbers are sustainable. And I think the, the flashes offensively excite me more because I know defensively he can anchor my team for 10 years if I'm, if I'm an NBA team. So I've moved him there. I will ask a question about Paulo. What exactly has moved you off of him from, from one? Because there's been a few things that I've noticed that I had him sliding. And right now I've actually got him at four below J- Jaden Ivey. Um, but I'm curious if we're seeing the same things between uh, why we elevate uh, Jabari versus dropping Paolo. Yeah, for me, it was uh, I, I added something to my scouting report from that Florida State game. I, I saw a little bit of it in Wake Forest, but it was really bad in the Florida State game, which is the tunnel vision he's starting to get uh, near the rim as, as he's starting to get closer and closer, especially I've noticed on one of two situations, post-ups. And offensive rebounds, he really only sees the rim. I mean, it is straight tunnel vision on that lately, and that has really scared me. I don't, I don't like tunnel vision. That is one of my absolute worst traits. I think players can get. I think there's a difference to be clear of selfishness and tunnel vision. Like Cam Thomas, I think was a little bit more selfish than he got tunnel vision. Like I think he saw his teammates last year, but he chose not to. Whereas Paolo, I think he genuinely sometimes just misses things because there was a play. There were two times it happened, and one of them I was like, fine, it's an offensive rebound. You know the bigger guys, some of them get that kind of cockiness where they think they get the ball, they have to go up. Fine. That's a fixable trait. But there are times where he was driving. I think he did a spin move, half spin move, tried doing a post up. And instead he saw there were two shooters nearby. One was a little bit contested and the other was halfway open. Wasn't the easiest pass, but he's 6'10 and could have just jumped and made a pass, even as unfund- like unorthodox as that is. And instead he just still went up with it. And that stuff has really scared me. Usually shot selection doesn't spar me like that, but it was really bad. I kept watching it, trying to justify it as much as I could. That has been a major thing for me is just watching the, the overall lack of um, just vision. I think just as he gets to, to the rim and, and also just, I don't know, the jump shot kind of comes and goes. I think that's fine. It's not a huge issue, but when it comes to Jambari, I don't say the same thing and that's a difference maker. And also, I want to say one thing also, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt what you said about Chet could not be, I want to emphasize what you said. Like, his defense is one of the best. He's one of the best college defenders, probably NBA prospect defenders I've ever seen. Like that cannot be understated. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think one thing I've noticed, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember which time, but Paolo concerns me in that in games where he started well, he has not found a way to get the ball. And so I wonder if this tunnel vision is when he does get the ball, he's like, oh man, I got to score. And it's, it's this kind of conflation of, of being a good teammate and trying to raise his stock in, in, in like in his head. Like, I don't know if that's actually the thought process, but like when you watch the game against Florida state last time, he had, did nothing the entire second half and their lanes bothered, bothered him. And this Florida state, I didn't watch the entire game, but you look at this, the box where he's six to 12, that seems fine. But it, but I, I trust your analysis because I saw that against wake forest at times where he went two of 10 and, it, and that's not a lot of shots for a guy who's getting as many isolation, isolation touches as he does but he gets them early in the game and then all of a sudden they can't get the ball to him and he doesn't impose as well like what the trait that we herald um paulo for is that he's so versatile that he can ball handle that he can create for himself create for others well where where is that in creating for yourself when you shoot nine shots against virginia in the first half and nine shots in the total game when armand franklin is six five is guarding you the entire second half um i've got concerns there and that's why i've bumped him down below Jaden Ivey because Ivey's been really good this this last couple like three or four game stretch 
and Bancaro's had concerning performances. So that's one I'm consistent with you on. Then I've got one more guy. We haven't discussed much because he's not a college basketball guy, but I'm looking at your board. Um, Nikola Jovic. Uh, we've talked about him off camera before, but why don't you introduce our listeners to Jovic and, and what you love so much about him? Because I think most people would have him about like 15 to 20, 15 to 25. So why is he at seven on your board? Yeah, the, the stats over in Serbia this year haven't been the strongest, but uh, in terms of, I think, miss and make, I think that's really been the issue for him. And for me, I have no concern about that eventually scaling up and improving. He's still 18 years old. Um, he is going to be one of the better shot creators at his size from this draft, and he's 18 until a week or two before the draft. So that's really impressive. Doing what he's doing, playing in a pro league, getting the minutes he's getting in, in the best team in Serbia – um in the adriatic league which is a pretty decent league it's not great it's not bad um but for me the big thing comes down to shot creation he's 610 has crazy advanced handles for an 18 year old let alone a 610 18 year old and he uses it consistently he has it's a luca level footwork on his step back it's not quite a luca step back but it's like the same way harden does the you know the crossover pull in, push out, or push, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, like, go in and then just step right back out. I, I got the words mixed up, but uh, I, if you type in Mavstraft Jovic, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. He lulls him to sleep, thinks he's go- make them think he's going to the basket, immediately pull back, clean form, almost perfect form, I would say. And I buy that. Being 6'10", I don't care that he has some finishing concerns. He's bad at defense. There's no way to hide that. And he can also run, pick, and roll and create for others. He can throw a skip pass. He can find his roller. He's so versatile at 6'10 offensively that I'm buying the growth. And, you know, he's only 18 and we're already seeing this. So I'm very high on him. I'm not really fading off of him because of the stats. I'm staying loyal to him on this. And and I think what I'm seeing continues to support it more than anything with the eye test. I'm not really worried about makes or misses right now. Love it. Yeah, he's he's an interest you watch him play and the Luca comparison that you make is, is it's like is, with any lofty comparison it's really hard to make but you see flashes of what Luca does and what he does at similar ages and it's very accurate like you you can't expect 22 year old Luca from 18 year old Jovic um, so for those of you listening take a gander and have an open mind to that comparison because I watched him um, not as much as Richard has but he He's got these flashes of, of brilliance that you can't teach that I don't think very many people have. I'm a little lower than Richard on him just because of the defensive issues, but I'm still got him around my lottery as well. Yeah. He's someone who will, uh, who will eventually climb. Uh, one last thing before we, we head over to the, uh, the previews for this week. I want to give a shout out to Michael Foster. I think he's improved a lot as the seasons progressed in the G league. Um, he's up to 59th on my board. He was over in the eighties because I thought he was too big. He was a little bit slow in mid season. I've seen his growth on defense with footwork and he stayed in front of, uh, I forget who was Jaden Springer. He was in front of Jaden Springer. Someone I had known him number 10 last year, pretty quick guard, six, eight, six, nine, Michael Foster, big dude was staying in front of him. He can shoot. Pujetter has been on record. His teammate at the G league ignite of saying, Hey, this guy draft him and don't regret it. He's a good upside play. He's a big dude. He's really athletic and can shoot. And now he's growing as a defender. He's someone who to look out for for uh, for the next level. But what we're going to preview the upcoming week in college basketball. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar. If you are looking for a great protein bar, look no further than Built Bar. They have sent me plenty of free packages to try before we promote. And man, I cannot tell you how good it is. They the cookies and cream is probably my absolute 
favorite flavor and it is ridiculously good. There's so many other flavors, depending if you've ever had a, a protein cookie or in like ice cream, imagine those, the flavors you have in ice cream at the protein bars, the best tasting one. That's what built bar does. And best of all, it's really healthy for you. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. You get the taste of the candy bar, benefits of the protein bar. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off your, uh, your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So, Leaf, we got a big week of college basketball ahead of us. It is, I want to say it's, uh, my, my timing's off, but I want to say it's the second to last weekend of the regular season for most teams. I know Gonzaga just had their senior day, so also if you saw Chet came off the bench, that was why. It was, I think, his lone game this year. But senior day is coming up for a lot of teams. This is the second to last weekend of most regular season basketball uh, for these schools. What games are enticing you? I'll let you kick this off. Give me some teams and uh, games that you're looking forward to in both college matchups and NBA draft matchups. Man, I got I got a number. I'll start with a college one um, just because this is a team I've remained really high on. And there's some draft appeal to this one. Uh, Nova and UConn, they're playing tonight at 6 on FS1. Uh, Villanova beat them badly in Philly when they played at Nova. Um, UConn is favored, though, tonight. And this is a ranked matchup. I think UConn, their bigs got in foul trouble, made Eric Dixon look phenomenal, had his best game ever. Now, this is a game where I expect UConn to play a lot better, and you'll see a matchup between the two best point guards in the Big East and R.J. Cole and um, Colin Gillespie. I'm, I'm really excited for that one just on the college basketball standpoint. I think this will tell me how good UConn is, how much faith I can put into them, because this is a team I've been talking about for a long, long time. If you follow me on Twitter, that has Elite Eight talent hidden on a kind of top 25 at best team. Um, and then one other one that this one is a draft one uh, that, is on this, uh, that is coming up shortly, um, LSU and Kentucky. This is, this is an interesting matchup. I wondered if you'd, if you'd get there. Um, I want to see Tari Eason uh, try to attack the glass. This is a guy that... You know, we've talked about Eric Gaines, quick hands, um, point guard. He'll be he'll be in an interesting matchup with Severe Wheeler and, of course, Ty Ty Washington. But my my focus will be on Tari Eason and how he is able to deal with the length of Keon Brooks, the the fearsome presence of Oscar Shibway, and see how Oscar Shibway to see if he can maintain this energy, which is obviously unbelievable. And he's and he runs like a deer for a biggest. But the pace that LSU plays out, they're the number two, number one or number two Ken Palm defense. I want to see how productive Shibway is and, and see if he could be a borderline late, late second round pick just off sheer productivity alone and be like the manimal Kenneth Fareed. And I want to see if he can do that at the pace that LSU wants to play. Yeah, you uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say LSU-Kentucky is definitely one of the games I wanted to see. Um, at this point, any game with Keegan Murray, we got, what, four, three, four, actually, wow, five, now that I'm looking at it, five more regular season games including tonight against Michigan State, of Keegan Murray. So I would say if you got a chance in the next five games before conference tournament starts up, and especially in that time, honestly, watch Keegan Murray because he's on a tear right now, and uh, he's one of the most exciting prospects, I think, to watch in all of basketball. Um, the other ones for me, my favorite second-round guards face off this weekend, and I cannot be any more excited. Uh, and that is Vanderbilt at Mississippi State. I guess Scottie Pippen Jr. versus Iverson Molinar. 
if you've been listening to this podcast, one, this episode, and two, any of the last like five episodes, you've heard me talk about either Scotty Pippen or uh, Iverson Molinar, who, by the way, top five name. If you're named Iverson, especially as a first name, whew, you're a prospect. Like, I'm very excited for that matchup. Both very, very good defenders, uh, struggling with a three ball, but really efficient elsewhere. Um, though that's a big one for me. Give us uh, one or two more for you that are that are standing out for the rest of the week. I've got two re, uh, two games. One is a rematch where the game had a lot of hype in it. The game actually really sucked. And that was Kansas and Baylor. This time they're in Waco. Uh, I want to see how the freshmen on Baylor handle uh, the athleticism that is above average for Kansas. They, I wouldn't say Agbaji is a freak athlete, but he's a very good athlete. I wouldn't say Jalen Wilson's a freak athlete, but he's a very good athlete. I want to see how the freak athlete in Kendall Brown uses some skill to handle the increased athleticism, see if he can have a plus game, which I feel like I haven't, I haven't seen him have a, a game where I'm like, okay, wow, that's that's really good. You see flashes, but I want to see him string together a game. I want to see how the imp- uh, increased minutes, Jeremy Suhan, how he does, uh, because you know he's playing more and more, and he had a really good game against TCU, but he kind of struggled uh, against Oklahoma State. And then, of course, I want to see how Agbaji does when schemed against by mastermind defensive coach and Scott Drew. And then I got one more, which uh, we're going to get back to my boy Jabari Smith. Um, that seems that seems where it should where it should go. Jabari Smith is playing Tennessee, two teams we've already talked about, Auburn and Tennessee. Um, this is a really enticing matchup in the SEC. Tennessee has won nine of their last ten. Auburn has actually lost two of their last four, I believe. And I want to see how the guards of these two teams. Wendell Green is a great guard for Auburn, and of course Kennedy Chandler. We talked about. I'm with you. I don't love him as a draft prospect, but as a college guard, he's really picking it up. And these are two veteran teams with some youthful talent. I want to see how the athletes of Tennessee try to guard Jabari Smith, see if they can get under his skin, or will he still continue his torrid streak? And I'm personally rooting for the latter of those two. Yeah, and then uh, last one for me, I got, um, you know, there's there's one that's been on my mind, and I'm going to cheat for this. I'm going to go to Monday because technically we're Tuesday, so I'm going to go from Tuesday to Tuesday. Um, and I'm going to go next Monday. You got USC hosts Arizona. Uh, I don't, it actually on ESPN it says the times I'm sure, but that's two versus 16. It could change by then because rankings come out every Monday. But last time these two teams faced Isaiah Mobley played really well. Christian Coloco had his third least inefficient game of the season. Really interested to see how that kind of plays out and, uh, and how that rematch looks. And if Benedict Matherin um, can get it going last game in that he was four of 10, so just a little bit excited to see where that goes. I think that's a good draft matchup, especially in the front court when you have Isaiah Mobley almost anytime he's on the floor is going to be guarding either Christian Coloco or Azulis Tubelis. Um, I think I'm saying Tubelis, right? He's always been a tough one for me, but I love his finishing ability. So good test for rim protection for Mobley. And then also just Coloco, I mean, same kind of thing. He's a long athlete who they put him in the pick and roll a lot. Really interested to see how that one goes. But um, that has been the preview recap and overview of my big board next week uh, as we're getting closer to March Madness I mean we're going to start diving into these college tournaments and uh, actually some of them start this month which feels so weird that March Madness can start in February but you know that's how some of these mid-majors go and uh, we'll start recapping previewing all the good stuff some of those what to look for try and help you make your bracket a little bit better and uh, make you sound a little bit smarter come uh, draft time 
in conference uh, tournament time, NCAA tournament time with draft prospects. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Locked On NBA Draft. You can find me at Mavs Draft, and you can find Leaf at Leaf to Lean, L-E-I-F-T-H-U-L-I-N. And if you aren't already, if you're listening to this via podcast, first of all, thank you again for making this your first listen. But also go ahead to our YouTube channel, Locked On NBA Draft. Find us there. Subscribe. Give us, you know, watch us here for, I mean, I, I don't want to say for now on, but I mean, if you got the chance, go ahead. I think it's a little bit more exciting. You see I talk with my hands. Uh, I, I'm blocking off my background with my Penny Hardaway uh, signed basketball. I got some, you know, some props and uh, Leaf. I, I think he changed his background this time, but normally he's got the Donovan Mitchell poster and everything. It's pretty sick. Go ahead and check us out on there. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Locked on NBA Draft. Talk to you all next week.